Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, before we talk to Charlie Pierce, let's talk about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Show. As you may or may not know, the Bob Seska Show is almost entirely fueled by our Patreon subscribers. So if you dig what you hear today, please consider signing up for just $5 a month on our Patreon page. Not only are you going to get access to the Shadow Docket shows twice per week, but you're also going to get to download the Patreon app. You'll be able to comment under each episode, and you can even post your own blogs in the Member Post tab as well. Plus, you'll be supporting this fully independent podcast as we guide you through the chaos of our politics. So get going. Again, that's bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Today's Rachel Maddow Show Award for Headline Excellence goes to Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, November 8, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 1022 of the Biden-Harris administration, 362 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on threads and Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore go, spoutable Bob Seska, and the Patreon page is BobSeskaShow.com. So the great Charlie Pierce from Esquire.com and the Stephanie Miller Show returns to the podcast today to discuss the assassination of President Kennedy coming up on 60 years after that terrible day in Dallas. Charlie's been studying that event since the 1970s and supports the idea that there was, in fact, a conspiracy to murder the president. And guess what? I do, too. Now, our theories aren't as ludicrous as some, but on the show today, we'll discuss the various reasons why we believe there was a plot to murder JFK that involved more than just Lee Harvey Oswald. And don't worry, we're also going to talk about the results of this week's elections, too. Meantime, don't forget to support this podcast by subscribing to us on Patreon, BobSeskaShow.com. Okay, here's me and Charlie Pierce discussing the JFK assassination. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Yeah, you know what? When I scheduled this, I didn't realize that the day before was election day and that many of us would be up way too late the night before. <laughs> in order uh, to- I slept in a little bit this morning. I'm fine. Oh, as, good. Soon as, uh, as soon as the Virginia House flipped, I, or yeah, flipped, I guess, Yeah, uh, I went to bed. So yeah, before we talk about JFK, I'd love to get your reaction to everything that went down last night. Big effing deal, as Biden once said, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, 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 I am. I was enjoying uh, the comeuppance that people got who assumed that the anti-Dobbs energy had run out of gas. Uh-huh. Only to have it like come roaring back the first time anybody got a chance to actually vote on it. Yeah. What is it with the punditry right now and just not giving any wiggle room whatsoever to the Democrats? Even with election after election going the way of the Democrats, they're still linked to this Democrats in disarray. Everything's bad news for Joe Biden on and on and on. What What is that? Why are they doing that? Well, for one thing, the Demo- there are Democrats who won't shut up. <laughs> And this makes me this makes me freaking crazy. Yeah. You know, the New York Times is not your friend. <laughs> don't go 
you know, giving them wonderful background quotes they can make a story out of. Who are the Democrats you're talking about? Who are the ones who won't shut oh, up? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's all the ones who are <laughs> identified as, you know, Democratic strategists or uh -huh. sources close to the administration or, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. Or, you know, guys who gave Joe Biden an ice cream cone three years ago. <laughs> I mean, and it, 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 it's whoever, you know, whoever will, 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 you know, what little squeaky little chicken shit mothers uh, who don't want to put their name on stuff that go blabbing to the Times and the Post and the TV networks yeah. uh, to, you know, because they want to seem like they're in the know. The Republicans do not do that. If they go over the cliff, they go over together. You know, one of the things I've noticed or haven't noticed, Charlie, is the utter lack of leaks coming from the White House uh, saying that, oh, Joe Biden's falling asleep in cabinet meetings. The sort of thing we heard in uh, the second term of Ronald Reagan. None of that's happening, right? I mean, I, I haven't seen any stories along those lines. No, all, all of the, all of this, all of the, those, all of the, you know, Biden in trouble stories have come uh on people commenting on the campaign, not on his yeah. performance in, in office at all. <laughs> it's ridiculous. There's no evidence for this as far as his ability to handle the job. I mean, from every indication, he's fully engaged in everything, right? Right. You know, I mean, I, and I'm sure he's, you know, he's lost a step as we all will. Yeah. You know, when, when we're, you know, pushing 80. But, you know, he's, the, the administration seems to be rocking right along. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I mean, no, no major gaffes. They're getting, you know, judges confirmed by the carload. Yeah, and all they can, you know, they, and and all they can say is that they, you know, that there are some bad polling numbers a mm. year away from the most shrouded in in <laughs> yeah fog election we've ever had. And the Republicans are going to keep effing that chicken, aren't they? They're going to keep oh, going like full extremists between now and next year. I mean, they have absolutely no ideas. Right. They are so bereft of ideas. They have to cling to the ones they have. Right, right. Uh, you know, and, and it's it, it's it's terrible because I hear uh, I hear Glenn Youngkin's been on the phone all morning canceling hotel rooms in New Hampshire. <laughs> is, that, is that true? Or are you kidding? No, I am kidding about okay. that, but I'm sure maybe not him, but his, but some of his supporters are, I guarantee you yeah. that. Yeah. Well, one of the things I noticed in the past uh, couple of months, Charlie, is, and we're going to get to JFK here in a second, but one of the things I noticed in the past couple of months is Donald Trump's been telling his rally crowds not to vote. That's been one of the greatest hits that he throws into his rallies. Don't vote. Just keep an eye on the other voters. Don't worry about voting. Just look for the election fraud that might damage me, is essentially what he's saying. Maybe that's not such a good idea, as we saw uh, last night with voter turnout problems for the Republicans, right? Well, not, yeah, well, not only that, but you're leaving the field wide open yeah. for angry, motivated Democrats. Right. Who are somehow managing not to, you know, tap dance on their own dicks for the first time in... in you know, generations. Right, right. Everybody's pulling on the same oar right now. It's actually quite nice to see. But my, I, before we leave the elections, my favorite result last night was Yusef Salam of the Exonerated Five from Central Park. Oh yeah, becoming elected to the to the New York City Council while Donald Trump is under ninety-one federal indictments. <laughs> It is a gorgeous, gorgeous juxtaposition of two stories. I mean, Dr. Dr. King turns out to have been right about the arc of the moral universe, <laughs> although it does take its slow, damn sweet time. Yeah. You well, know, bending toward justice. Yeah. I mean, and similar to that, I feel a lot better about the integrity of the average American voter today than I did uh, yesterday. That's for sure. Well, well, I feel very, very good about the fact that the Ohio voters were able to to see through mm -hmm. all the phony, you know, dodges and, and language games that were played by the people uh, against question one. Yeah. And just see right through to the, you know, to the actual issue, which was, do you want this in your state constitution? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes, obviously. Yeah. But they had, 
they had to, they had to live through a year of serious disinformation. Yeah, and this is further proof that one of the best ways to get around minority rule is to uh, use ballot initiatives and uh, just go right to the people on these things and completely sidestep the Republican state legislatures and governor's mansions, right? Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, uh, Rick Santorum was on one of the, you know, the right wing, <laughs> yeah. you know, deli shop TV uh, you know, networks <laughs> saying that he... He, he he doesn't he, he believes that democracy is better served by states that don't have the initiative process. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you do. That's right. That's actually the opposite of democracy, Rick. Good God. I mean this was I'm sorry, but this was an argument that Bob LaFollette settled in nineteen oh five. Right. Grant I will grant you yeah. that California's process gets way out of hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's absolutely true. Well, especially when you I get mean, into when, the recall. When I, start, right when I start seeing signs saying, you know, oppose question 112, <laughs> I wonder whether or not maybe the system needs a little fine-tuning. Oh, my God. Well, you know, this month marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy. And, you know, I suppose, Charlie, the best place we can start is— Wait a minute. That would make— that would make me on my upcoming birthday. <laughs> God. Go ahead. Yeah, and this isn't going to make it any better, this question. Where were, <laughs> where were you when you heard, and what was your immediate reaction? I Vividly, I remember this. I was in, I went to grammar school a fair distance from, you know, actually in a different town yeah. from uh, where I live. Mm-hmm. So I was at my, I was in fifth grade. Uh, Sister uh, Kathleen Robert was my teacher, uh, and she got called out of the room, and she didn't come back. And then a bunch of us got up, and we looked. I looked out, and I we looked out the door, and there was this clump of in the hallway of weeping nuns, five, six, seven of them. Wow! And then in a few minutes, the the Sister Superior, the de facto principal of my grade school, got on the PA and pretty much sent us all home. So I had to take my, you know, I, I took two, bu- I used to take two buses to get to grammar school. So I took my two buses, but that I vividly remember. And the other thing that I will never forget from that weekend that hardly anybody mentions anymore in terms of like shock value is watching Oswald get killed on live TV. Yeah, were you watching? Oh, absolutely. Wow. And we, we, we locked in for, it was the first time that we locked into one of these major events that were also a television extravaganza. Uh, you know, and for your generation, this, the entire several days between the assassination itself and the coverage of that, plus on through, I guess it was Sunday when Lee Harvey Oswald was shot on television, that entire span of time, that was the first time uh, Americans had viewed anything like that occurring on television. Uh, yeah, it was the fir- I mean, it was the first time we saw that you could the networks were willing to blow out their entire schedule. Yeah. In order to show one event or the the events involved in one event. Do you think that being able to see something like that happening and uh, and I'll include obviously the the coverage that was happening on that Friday after the assassination do you think that may have contributed to the idea of maybe we need to know more about this do you think there's anything to that the existence oh, I, of the visual I, I, aspect I, I really do I mean yeah. television was inviting us to be involved in this event yes and you know okay we're involved in the event now we're we're not going to stop being involved involved in the event once it's over mm-hmm. you asked us in now we're now now we own part of it yeah god that's such a great thought so from there what if anything started you down the path of maybe questioning the official account of what happened was there sort of a, a timeline for you as far as that goes beyond just uh, witnessing the uh, the horror show on tv well yeah, the i remember reading uh, you know, 
I can't remember if it was Mark Lane's book, Rush to Judgment. Yeah, it was the first or, one, I think, yeah. Yeah, or Josiah Thompson, Six Seconds in Dallas. Mm -hmm. But I have a feeling it was Mark Lane because, because Thompson's was a, a, a little bit tougher read. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know enough about this, but this sure seems like it got solved in a hurry. Yeah. I mean, what year are we in now? We can't find Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> but we could solve the, the murder of the president of the United States in broad daylight in a day and a half. And, and the, Despite the fact that in a day and a half, the accused assassin was dead because he got shot by another guy on TV. Yeah, see, to me, that's the centerpiece. That's the trigger of the entire uh, conspiracy theory surrounding that. That's the hinky event that took place. And I think to a secondary extent, it's the fact that it was assassination that took place using a high-powered rifle from a distance rather than, I think, every presidential assassination, Lincoln, uh, was it McKinley? Those McKinley and uh, Garfield, yeah. And, and Garfield. also the attempts on both Franklin and Teddy Roosevelt. Right. We're, Those both, were both pistols. Right. Up close. Exactly. Yeah. And so there was already extenuating circumstances even before uh, Lee Harvey Oswald went down at the hands of Jack Ruby. So there are a couple of things that start to trigger that section of your brain that makes you ask questions. And for me, I really jumped in with both feet uh, when many of us did. It, for me and my generation, it was uh, Oliver Stone's JFK movie. And, and that started the ball rolling. That's not to say that I believe everything that Oliver Stone wrote into that film. It's just that that was the uh, entry point. That was the thing that started to get... Uh, for, me it was, for me, it was in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. Yeah. Uh, when I was a senior in college, there was a group of people out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, called the Assassination Information Bureau. Wow. In fact, a guy who I would later work with at the Boston Phoenix, Michael Gee, was there director of information. I didn't know that at the time, mm -hmm. but they, they brought a bootleg copy of the Zapruder film around to college campuses. I don't know where they got it from. Wow. I, I, I don't think I even want to know why they got it from, <laughs> but they brought it to Marquette when I was there and I went and watching that, uh, first of all, it's, you know, it's utterly terrifying yeah. if you don't know what's coming. Mm -hmm. Now everybody knows what's coming, so it's it's a little bit less scary. But you can't watch that and seriously accept the dogmatic conclusion of the Warren Commission. You can't. Yeah, it doesn't make any. It, it, it it's it's who are you going to believe us or, or or your lion eyes? And that was the that was the event that that permanently uh, sent me down the trail. As did the hearings and of the 1978 you know house committee on assassinations which opened the door to the question of wait a minute how much of this stuff do you know how many how much of this stuff did people know in advance you know what's in the documents what's you know what what do we already don't know you know at that point it was 20 years afterwards but you know it, it it just you know, and maintaining the you know the 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 secrecy over you know the documents relating to the assassination for you know 150 years or whatever it was. I mean, that to me was bullshit. That's you know official official secrets act stuff. Yeah. And so that 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 set me permanently down the path of we don't know anywhere close to what we need to know about what happened. Yeah, it's interesting. The people, the adherents of the Warren report tend to yada, yada, yada House Select Committee investigation, which concluded that there was a conspiracy in Dallas. And the centerpiece of the conclusion of that investigation was the dictaphone tape. And that was actual, I mean, they presented it as audio evidence of what was happening in Dealey Plaza that day. Is this still a valid bit of evidence or should we write that off? Because I know there's been I, I don't know. I think there was, I think there was some, some debunking done. Yeah. And about, about four or five years afterwards about, you know, that, that it had been missing. Some things had been misinterpreted on it. I mean, it can't have been a very, 
you know, good quality audio tape. I mean, it was a policeman's <laughs> motorcycle. No, it's not good quality. I've heard it, and it's staticky, and I couldn't really tell what was going on if I wasn't also looking at a waveform that accompanied yeah. the presentation of the audio. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know. But they use that as the driving force behind the conclusion that there was a conspiracy in Dallas. But there was other evidence presented, too. And this was a blanket investigation into not only the JFK assassination, but also the RFK assassination and the MLK as well. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not sure I'm not sure that that was entirely a good idea. Oh, yeah. Why I mean, not? That's a lot. I mean, that's a ton of work for people. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, let's not also let's not forget that roughly the same time I saw this presentation from the Assassination Information Bureau in college, I also saw a little movie called Executive Action, mm -hmm. which starred Burt Lancaster, Robert Ryan, Will Gear, and was uh, okay. Let's let's say there's a conspiracy. Here's how it could have worked. And it was written by Dalton Trumbo, among other things. Yeah. And it occasionally pops up on Turner Classic Movies. And it presents a very plausible scenario on how this, how, you know, if you had motivated people with enough money, they could pull this off. What generally was his theory? What was the... Uh, well, his theory was that? it was a combination of, of rogue intelligence guys and Texas oil men. And, and you know, people who would, you know, planning to make a lot of money on Vietnam. It's not that dissimilar from Oliver Stone, although yeah. it, it, it doesn't rely at all on, you know, on Jim Garrison, which I thought was Oliver Stone's, uh, uh, you know, the big flaw in Oliver Stone's thing. Do you not uh, trust Jim Garrison? No, not as far as I can throw it. Are you <laughs> kidding? What is it about Garrison that you don't like? Well, he went bananas. I mean, yeah. he's, and he, I mean, he's talking about you know, uh, uh, you know, he's you know allegedly hypnotizing witnesses, and oh yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, he, I mean, I will give him credit for cracking open the door, uh, you know, as much as he did, and and for you know exploring the very, very hinky relationship between Oswald and Cuban exiles. And everything that went on in New Orleans, you know, which, you know, about which we are still not seeing any of the documents that the CIA has. Was he on the right track with uh, Clay Shaw? No, I don't think I don't think so. Uh, I've never I've never thought I, I've never thought so. I think that, you know, given the circles in which Shaw traveled I mean, he was director of the International Trademark in New Orleans, which was the gateway to the Caribbean, I'm fairly sure he probably knew something about what was going on in the Cuban exile community uh, and may have bankrolled some of it. But in terms of the Kennedy thing, I don't think I don't think he built the bridge. No. Yeah. Yeah. And it turned out later on that he was somehow connected to the CIA. Right. I'm not. Yeah, he had, done, he had done yeah. he had done contract work for the CIA which in 1962 and 1963, uh, you know, it, it's inevitable that if you were doing international business, you were contacted by the CIA. Yeah. I mean, it was just the way things operated that, back then. And the other thing to remember about this is that at the time, and we're only finding out about this part now, mm -hmm. the, Kennedy, the Kennedy brothers, but specifically John Kennedy, was at war with his own intelligence community. Oh, yeah. Fire Dulles. Yeah, it was very much hated in the intelligence community. I mean, it, was a rolling, it was a rolling ball of snakes. Yeah. These are the people who put together the Operation Northwoods memo, which I have held right. in my hand, by the way. You can hold it in your hand at the Kennedy Library. Yeah. Just real quick, t tell me what uh, the Operation Northwoods memo is. That was, was the big false flag. Yeah, right? Yeah, it was a proposal for false flag operations that could be blamed on Castro. Yeah. And one of them, by the way, was blowing up John Glenn on the launch pad at, wow. at, at, Cape, at Cape Canaveral. Yeah. Uh, and it got all the way up to McNamara, who turned it off. It got all the way up to the Secretary of Defense before somebody said, this idea is completely batshit nuts, <laughs> and we're not going to do this kind of thing.
Yeah, and the theory is that Operation Northwoods was turned upon the chief executive, right? That's well, kind that's of one, the, that's that's one of the theories. That's what that it was that it was going to be used that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Hartman, of course, has a theory that it was it was one of the CIA mafia plots to kill Castro, who that was eventually turned back on and 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 used to kill Kennedy. Uh, and by the way, that's what Robert Kennedy thought uh, immediately after the assassination and probably died believing it. Uh, do you believe it? Certainly. I think it's, I think it's it, of all the, see, I've always concentrated on the fact that I think there were two crimes against America involved here. Huh. One is the shooting and the other is concealing all the evidence. Yeah. Tangential or, or otherwise. Mm hmm. The first one, we may never know. I mean, anybody involved in it is dead, probably. You know, the the, the, the ballistics arguments can go on forever uh, to no good conclusions. But the second one, the second one is ongoing, and it's something we should do something about. Every single file involved from the intelligence community involving the assassination and Lee Harvey Oswald and the relationship of all of that together, those should all be released. There's no reason to keep those secret anymore. Yeah, and of course... I mean, sources and methods, the sources are all dead. This is, you know, 60 years ago. What are you, defending the, you know, the, the, the reputation in history of, you know, some station chief in Greece or Mexico City? Yeah. That's just nuts. And I think some people who aren't privy to the history of the intelligence community don't have a real appreciation for how lawless parts of the government were in those days pre-Watergate. I mean, that doesn't mean the CIA did it, but it doesn't help either, does it? No, it doesn't. And the candy and the candies weren't, you know, innocents in this in this whole thing either. I mean, mm. Bobby wasn't too particular about getting rid of Castro, you know, for a long while. Yeah. Obviously, that's and I think significantly that changed after Dallas. Because, you know, he sent his own, you know, confidential agents uh, down to to uh, Cuba to talk to Castro. And that and that, that particular guy came back and told him that Castro was just terrified that it happened because he knew it could be blamed on him. The Russians, by the way, were scared as hell, too. Uh, or so, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev's son said. Uh, it was a, it was a, a you know it was the wild west. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you said lawless, you know it was it was also you know logicless and reasonless. Okay, short break. Back with more Charlie Pierce right after this. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath and Body Products. See, Bubble Genius is a woman-owned small business proudly creating our vegan-friendly products in America and supporting other U.S. businesses by buying our ingredients and supplies from them as often as possible. Plus, you'll be hard-pressed to find packaging as recyclable as ours. Visit BubbleGenius.com and check out our cause-related items too, like our global warming soap and a lot more. We donate our proceeds for those items to worthy causes, like organizations combating climate change and mountaintop removal mining. Good stuff like that. We also send our products to the troops overseas through our Buy a Soldier a Shower campaign. Because the least we can do is keep them smiling and smelling great, right? So visit BubbleGenius.com and feel good. 
and clean. Bubble Genius, doing our part to make the world a better place, one bathtub at a time. That's BubbleGenius.com. Is there one aspect of the murder that's at the core of your theories, Charlie? Is there like one thing that you keep going back to as being the catalyst for your suspicions in terms of the official account of what happened? Yeah, the gun. The gun itself, the Malik or Carcano. I, yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't hit. I'm sitting in my recliner in my living room. <laughs> I couldn't hit the wall across from me with a Carcano. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, if, I've, I've talked to too many people who know too much about sniper rifles who point out that that God himself could not do that shooting from that window with that gun. It was preposterous. You know, the whole, the, the whole thing with the gun, I mean, the guy can buy a rifle anywhere in Texas uh, with a phony name, yep. and yet he orders a, 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 a piece of crap Italian rifle uh, from a mail-order house that can be traced to him. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is exactly tradecraft. Uh, and, you know, I mean, from there, you know, if you go and you can go there now, if you go to the Sixth Floor Museum, you can look out the window and say to yourself, you know, why didn't they just shoot him when he was coming directly at the building? Yes, exactly. He was driving. I mean, the motorcade was driving toward Lee Harvey Oswald directly at yeah, him. Right. If it kept going, it would have passed right past that corner. Instead, it made that left hand turn that and then it started to and drive he waited away. Until, yeah. He waited until it was behind a tree mm -hmm. and moving away from it. Yeah. To, to do a virtually perfect uh set of shots exactly i know i you know i i that's the one thing that 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 i keep that and the fact that nobody has ever given me a convincing motive right for yes. why oswald did it so you know supposedly he wanted to you know aggrandize himself in history well he denied doing it every chance he got and he gave about three press conferences before he got shot I mean, he denied it up and down. He wasn't trying to. He wasn't trying to take credit for it. If the purchase of the firearm was in and of itself suspicious, where does that put Lee Harvey Oswald in all of this? Do you think he did the shooting and was still involved with a broader conspiracy, or he didn't do the shooting and other shooters set him up to seem like he was doing? What is the? This is what this is, is one of those things okay, I don't yeah. think we'll ever know. Okay. I mean, yeah, he passed a, a paraffin test that. that that would have indicated if he'd fired a gun that day and and the test said he didn't. Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. All right. That's, you know, I don't know what, you know, I don't know how much, you know, how far we along forensically we were in 1963 <laughs> about, you know, you know, forensic medicine. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know that, I don't know that we'll ever get to the bottom of that. I mean, would, I mean, was he involved in some way? Did he get enmeshed in some way? Uh, I think that's probably the case, uh, but I, I don't know. And that's that's something that's wrapped up in all those documents we can't see. Right. And, uh, and, did and, he did did he shoot the gun? You know, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe not. I you know I I again that's something I don't think we'll ever know because everybody involved, anybody who was involved in the actual shooting is dead. I mean, they're gone. Yeah. And I don't think they left many breadcrumbs. Well, usually with murders like this, the assassin tends to want to get credit for doing it. I mean, if I'm going to put oh, myself absolutely. in this danger, and that's what, I'm going to take credit for it. They, and that's what they'll tell you yeah. was Oswald's motive. Except it runs contrary to everything he did in public after the assassination. He vocally denied it. They, they, I mean, the, the, it's not like the guy didn't have... The guy didn't have press availabilities. <laughs> they trotted him out like two or three times yeah. while he was in, in custody to talk to reporters, you know, to whom he he vehemently denied having taken part in the shooting over and over again. And yet we, you know, somehow once he was dead, you know, they were able to concoct this motive. And, you know, it, you know, it seemed to, you know, make sense a little, I guess. Except that when you went back and looked at the interviews, he didn't, you know, he didn't do what they said he did. 
for me, as far as the big trigger that leads me down the path of conspiracy is the neck wound, which every account that I've read from Parkland doctors said that that was an entry wound that they expanded for a trach tube. And if it was an entry wound, that means there had to have been a shooter in front of the motorcade. Uh, Maybe it was a second shooter, maybe it was a third shooter. I have no idea. Uh, I couldn't even begin to speculate the vast number of shooters or the limited number of shooters. But the fact that the reports, the immediate reports from Parkland were that the president was shot from the front in the neck initially. What do you think of that? Because I've, I've heard There's some even lot, doubts about if that. You go back, if you go back and watch the coverage of the day of the assassination, yeah, which was, you know, the, which was the first acid test of TV news, mm-hmm. the amount of stuff that gets reported that just goes down the memory hole over the next three days. You know, they found a, they found a Mauser on the sixth floor of the book <laughs> depository. Yeah. The the entry wound in the neck. Uh, you know, Matt Kilduff at the press conference announcing the president's death, pointing to you know the front of his head as mm. the entry for the, for the for the headshot. All this all this stuff is right there on video. Yeah, and it get it sort of just gets. You know, over the next three or four days, you know, while people were scrambling to put this awful event in in context and and make some kind of sense out of it, all of that initial reporting goes south. As does the fact that Connolly forever maintains he was hit by a different shot, that he wasn't hit by the bullet that went through the president. Can we rely on those initial reports, or was it sort of a fog of war kind of thing? Well, if you if you're a you know, a halfway competent homicide detective. Yeah. You talk to all the witnesses. I mean, the investigation and the autopsy were terrible botches. Yeah. For whatever reason. I mean, that, that's obviously the case. You know, and that, you know, leads us down to, well, they, you know, they, they tinkered with the body before it got to Bethesda and all this other stuff that makes my head hurt. <laughs> but yeah. a, a lot of people did their jobs very, very badly that day. Mm -hmm. Too many for me to believe that everybody just woke up that morning and decided to be bad at their jobs. (laughs) Right. You know, the Secret Service was terrible at their jobs. Well, they were hung over. The autopsy autopsy doctors at Bethesda were terrible at their jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The initial investigation was, you know, terrible, uh, you know, at, at, at their jobs. You know, witnesses got witnesses who 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 contradicted you know an establishing an establishing narrative were simply ignored, yeah, or bullied, or you know told they didn't hear what they hear or didn't heard or didn't see what they saw. Uh, it was it was one of the one of the worst murder investigations, I think, in the history of criminal justice. And I think it's the seedbed yeah. for everything that came after. It was just, it was so badly botched. And 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 so, there were so many convenient uh, coincidences, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, you know, that it was, it was bound to set people's imaginations in fl- uh, aflame. Well, yeah, certainly mine, because I feel yeah. as though maybe the botched investigation was deliberate. Maybe they slow walked the whole thing and bungled it in order to fabricate an official story that uh, was separate from actually what happened. And so, yeah, that- well, I mean, I, I will always wonder what would have happened if they had treated the president like any other homicide victim in Dallas mm-hmm. and let the Dallas coroner do the autopsy. Yeah. Because they hustled him out, you know, there was literally a fist fight, right, in the halls of Parkland to get him to get the body out of the the hospital into the limo and off to the airport. Uh, I, you know, I, I wonder that, but I think one of the most remarkable things about it, Bob, is that polling has consistently, from the day of the Warren Commission release, polling has indicated that a majority of the American people believe that a president of the United States was killed in broad daylight by elements of his own government. And 
we've gone blithely on like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, we all believe that. So that Right. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, Charlie, were the revelations by this guy, Paul Landis, one of the Secret Service agents in the motorcade that day. Uh, There was a Vanity Fair piece. I think he's got a new book out that came out last month. Essentially, he says he found an unaccounted for bullet on top of the back seat of the limo, then placed it on JFK's stretcher at Parkland Hospital. But there's no other account of the existence of this bullet, much less its placement in the limousine or its placement at Parkland. I remember um, when the Vanity Fair piece first came out, you tweeted that you tend to believe this story. Um, Talk about that. What what was it about Paul Landis's account that drew you in? Well, I mean, it it seemed to me that the chain of, of, of evidence that he described was was pretty clear. Yeah. I mean, the guy was a Secret Service agent. He finds a bullet, and he puts it in his pocket, and he brings Now, why he puts it on the stretcher, mm-hmm. I do not know. Why <laughs> yeah. he doesn't turn it over to, you know, anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know, is, is something that, that I don't think he has a good answer for. And if I were to tweet that again, I would tweet that as a major flaw in the story. Yeah. But... You know, if if there are other bullets, you know, if there is another bullet, you know, in the car, and I'm not entirely sure about this, Bob. Are people saying now that that's the magic bullet? I don't think so. I want to say this is an additional bullet. I think wasn't the magic bullet just found on another random stretcher? It was. Yes, at it Parkland. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. But this one, I think, was also pristine. I mean, pristine-ish. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I think Landis accounts it as a miss. Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that, Charlie? I, As I said, I mean, I first got involved in all of this after the JFK movie came out. And the summer of 1993, I spent every weekend or every chance I could get when it was open at the National Archives going over microfilm and... One of the things I noticed was a picture of the chrome flashing on the inside top of the uh, limousine's front windshield. And there was a very distinct bullet dent in that chrome flashing at the top of the windshield. And in fact, I remember making a drawing of it because you couldn't make Xerox copies or anything of the microfilm. And uh, and that's always kind of stuck with me. I think what made that bullet hole in the flashing on the windshield? What was that? Because well, I mean, also, I mean, also you've got James Tague, the guy on yeah. who was standing in the underpass who got hit by a fragment. Right, right. Which by the, which by the way is the one of the only reasons we have the single bullet theory because they had to account for that somehow. Yeah. But the main reason we have the single bullet theory is this approved film. Mm-hmm. Abraham Zapruder decides to eat lunch at his desk that day. Hmm. They could say anything. Yeah, and and what we see in that film is uh, pretty stark, although because it is soundless, it's hard to interpret what's happening between the very obvious shots. What happens before frame 313? Yeah, and they go behind a sign. Yeah, yeah. And, and when they come out from behind the sign, the president's obviously been hit in the neck. Right, and there's a and, he, there, there's and a, he's going for the front of his throat. I might add. Exactly, and there's a cut there, which is either Zapruder stopping shooting because that's how those Super Eight cameras used to work. You just stop, and then it would pick up on the very next frame where you hit start again on the trigger. And so uh, that may have accounted for that gap or, you know, obviously it stirs up all kinds of conspiracy theories about having interfered with the film itself and cut out. Or Zapruder Zapruder was just shocked at what he was seeing. Yeah, exactly. Or he was reacting to the the sound of a shot going past his head, possibly. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and stopping the shooting. Like, what the hell was that? And then starting up again. His poise, Zapruder's poise in that moment can't be understated. The fact that he kept rolling and rolling and rolling seemingly as Kennedy's going past him, Kennedy's head explodes right in front of him and he keeps shooting. Yeah. He, until the, until the limo goes out of sight. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, the big question I have about Paul Landis going back to that is which wound the Landis bullet was responsible for. And that's just a big question mark. And you know, Asking about whether or not that was the magic bullet, I think that's a a good question because 
Now that I think about it, it could be. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things that I wish was somehow inserted into the official account, but the fact that it isn't in any official account, apparently according to Paul Landis, indicates that it was an extra bullet. It was a bullet in addition to the magic bullet, right? I mean, that would that would make sense to me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's something, it's something that, you know, should have been investigated by any competent homicide detective. You know, that's the crime scene. You know, you tape off the car, and then you go in there and you look for stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some Secret Service guy walks by and sees a bullet. Where's the cops? Yeah. I mean, where's, you know, where are the guys in trench coats from the Dallas PD who are, you know, supposed to take care of, you know, homicide investigations? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day for me, Charlie, this lends more evidence to the analysis that the cover-up actually began at Parkland. Plus, as I said before, there's like a fog of war situation where you've got a lot of people who are in shock and maybe making decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make under normal circumstances. So you combine all those things and the very existence of this additional bullet lends the conclusion to me that man, someone took that bullet and did something to it or something with it. What was that thing and what did they do? Well, the, I mean, the other thing, the other element, I think, that gets overlooked uh, about the, you know, the chaos at uh, Parkland Hospital is the fact that the Kennedy staff, Dave Powers, Ken Kenny O'Donnell, those guys, yeah, uh, they they didn't know whether to scratch their butt or wind their watch. I mean, they were they were in complete shock. They were still dedicated. They weren't going to let anybody, you know, you know, deal with, uh, you know, their slain leader, except them. I mean, they. I mean, O'Donnell was already blaming Lyndon Johnson for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, and and you know, I think that they contributed more than a little to the, you know, the the confusion. At, uh, at in the immediate aftermath of the president's death, was there any and they certainly were central to hustling the body out of Dallas. Is there any validity to LBJ at least knowing on some level that something was going to go down in Dallas? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, that, I, it, it, that depends on who you talk to. My friend Jim Moore down in Texas will tell you that uh, that there that there is. Uh, I haven't read deeply enough in what I consider to be respectable sources yeah, to know. know one, one way or the other. I do know that, you know, the policy of the United States changed radically, you know, and within a few days of it. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time accepting the LBJ complicity in all of this. However, in the Nixon tapes, Charlie, uh, Richard Nixon repeatedly refers to reopening the quote unquote Bay of pigs thing. It's going to open up the, uh, the whole Bay of Pigs thing. Yes, yeah, I know. Yeah. Was that code for the assassination or? I have, that's, you know, I mean, you'd have to bring H.R. Haldeman back from the dead. <laughs> because, you know, that was, you know, that was, you know, one of the things on the smoking gun tape. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I mean what, but you think about it, in 1972, what was there about the Bay of Pigs that we didn't already know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was pretty. That was that that particular escapade was pretty well autopsied mm -hmm. by then. So I mean, was was the whole Bay of Pigs thing, you know, a, 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 an aggregate term for all the craziness involving the, the 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 administration and Castro? I mean, I have to think there is. You know, I obviously, uh, you know, we all know that Nixon was in Dallas the night before the. The uh, yes, <laughs> before the assassination, which may mean nothing. We mm. also know, by the way, that George Herbert Walker Bush is the only person I know who has publicly said he doesn't remember where he was. Yeah, when he heard about President Kennedy being shot. When you mentioned uh, oil tycoons <laughs> earlier <laughs> in the discussion here. That's the first name I went to, George H.W. Bush. There's been some theories. 
I don't know how reputable they are, but there's been some theories connecting George H.W. Bush in a financing sense to what happened in Dallas. Anything to that? I, 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 you ask me, you know, the people who who have written the books about it will tell you there is. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the guy did wind up running the CIA. Right. So, I mean, I think there's a, I do think, and this is off topic, I do think there's a lot about Poppy Bush's career that we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is an he is a he is an international man of mystery in a lot of ways. He's meeting with the Carlisle Group on the morning of nine eleven. Uh, he's you know he can't can't remember where he was, you know, in, in, when JFK was shot. He knows he was somewhere in Texas. Uh, I mean, come on! I just told you where I was. What the day Kennedy was shot, and I was 10 years old. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't remember something like that? It's like, I don't remember where I was on 9-11. It's just all a blur to me. No one's saying that. It's just crazy. It's a crazy excuse to me. That's what uh, kind of <laughs> stirs up my suspicion of him, even though I've got no real hardcore evidence that he was involved in some way. But, you know, I mean, it was, again, as I said before, it was a very, very different time. Everything that happened pre-Watergate had a, a patina of power drunk madmen lurking behind the scenes. Donald Trump talks a lot about the deep state right now. No idea. The, the deep state in 1963. He, he, he don't know from nothing about deep state. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pre-Watergate deep state was beyond anything he could possibly comprehend, I think. The CIA was contracted with, with Chicago mobsters yeah. to kill Castro. <laughs> right. And nobody knew about it. <laughs> Except, you know, the people who were supposed to know about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it, 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 between 1946 and 1963, uh, the intelligence apparatus ran wild. Mm-hmm. And, you know, originally the CIA was supposed to be an intelligence gathering organization. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to have operational uh, components. And that lasted about a year and a half when the OSS started smuggling the Nazis yeah. out of, you know, the Nazi intelligence people out of Germany. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, I, I'm perfectly willing to believe there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes in the government we don't know about, but I am not going to, I am not going to say it's, it's worse now than it was in 1962, 1963. Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, there were, there were crazy people with, with their fingers on many buttons. I, you know, I, and the name I always go to is Gordon Liddy. <laughs> Whenever I hear crazy people pre Watergate, I think of Gordon Liddy as kind of the perfect illustration of exactly what we're talking about. Just, well, yeah, that and that and, and, and James Jesus Angleton, by the way, who yeah. is there, who gives their kid the middle name Jesus. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, unless you're the unless you're the Alou family, I mean, who does that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess wrapping this up, Charlie. Some folks have asked me since I first announced that we were going to be talking about this. Uh, they've asked me why this is even a relevant topic today, and why we spend so much time examining the granular details of this tragedy. But in addition to being an immensely rare thing, the murder of the president. It significantly shifted the course of history, didn't it? I mean, that's at the very least, you got to say, you know what? This event changed everything in American life and to a certain respect, global life. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it certainly changed the, you know, it, it was the beginning of the long disillusionment that ended with that, that peaked at Watergate. Yeah, yeah. That things were in, in the saddle and, and, and controlling mankind. Uh, I mean, a lot of people never trusted their government mm-hmm. uh, after, after this particular event. And, you know, the government didn't do anything to earn that trust back. Right. If anything, it, it, it if anything, it's act, it, it's reaction to the event fostered more distrust. I mean, that, that polling figure on, you know, people who believe that, that, there was a conspiracy that hasn't changed in 60 years is a significant bit of, of, of public opinion. I mean, that's, I mean, that's something, I mean, we have learned to live with that. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways you learn to live with that is to not believe anything you hear anymore. 
Yeah. And I think, I think we may never get out from under that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's, an, I mean, and, and if nobody, if you haven't been to Dealey Plaza, you should go. Because I remember the first time I was there, I was in Dallas on a sports writing trip mm. and I checked into my hotel, uh, over by what was reunion arena, uh, in the middle of the night. So I just went to bed and pulled the shades and that morning I opened the shades and my heart stopped because I was looking down at the Ely Plaza and oh, wow. it has, no, I mean, everything is still there. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, you can walk. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a tourist trap now, but you know, at the time, you know, I stood behind the fence. I stood on the wall where Abraham Zapruder shot his movie. Uh, you know, I went to the sixth floor and looked out the window. And, you know, it, it, it was so deeply embedded in my psyche that I didn't realize I would have the reaction to actually seeing the place that I did. What always jumps out to me, and I haven't been there yet, Charlie, I still need to go, but what jumps out to me every time I see either a scale model of it or photography or film, or you can go on, you know, Google Earth and do a street-level view and walk through Dealey Plaza that way, the thing that strikes me is the vast number of hiding spots for a sniper that exist in that entire plaza. Like, there's a mirror image of, of Elm Street on the other side of Dealey Plaza, did it seem to you like it was smaller than you imagined or larger? It was more compact than I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, it was, you know, I mean, I, I was, you know, fairly sure I had an idea of the size of it from, you know, having, you know, seen video of it for however many, 20 years or whatever mm -hmm. was before I went, finally went to Dallas. Yeah. But, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but it's it's an it's an it's an absolutely perfect uh, set piece yeah. for a triangulated crossfire. Yep, you couldn't ask for a better venue. I mean, you know, uh, and if you know if you go there and you stand behind the fence and you think to yourself. Man, if I wanted to kill a president, why wouldn't I stand here? Right, and that's exactly what I thought of when you said you stood behind the fence. The vantage yeah, point. I mean, why, this is this is perfect. Yeah, you're yeah. under you're under covers. It's a flat, low shot. Uh, you probably could even make it with a Carcano, uh, but uh, you know <laughs> why? You know why? You know why wouldn't you have a shooter there? Why wouldn't you be if you were out to kill the president and aggrandize yourself? Why not make it easy for yourself? Yeah, exactly. Lots of storms. Why go out of your way to make it hard? Lots of storm sewers, too. In that oh, no, plaza. don't start. Yeah. No, then we're down the rabbit hole. I, <laughs> I will not go to the storm sewers. Okay. And yeah. I will not go to the, the Secret Service guy who turned around and accidentally blew his head off. Oh, which yeah. Is another, yeah, I Which remember. is another theory. I read that uh, yeah, book. No, yeah, I'm, I'm, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll go so far, but that's it. I want to. I want to still be able to see day, daylight at the top of the rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm so there with you. In fact, against the against the as the Wizard of Oz said, against the advent of a quick getaway. Right, right. And in fact, you mentioned earlier uh, the theory that someone altered the body or created a body yeah. double or something like that. There's an author yeah. named Gayton Fonzi who has an entire uh, theory about that. You know, they well, he he was an investigator for the House Committee. Yeah, yeah. He's got a little credit anyway. Well, he thinks the body was altered. Uh, that, in fact, one of the images that he uses in his book is the autopsy photo of the back of the president's head where he says there's some sort of metal device implanted in there. And that's when uh, I kind of envisioned the cheese slipping off his cracker. A metal device? I mean, like a bullet? or, or? Like, a, like a clamp or something holding the wound open or something inside the mess that was the back of the president's head in that autopsy photo. And uh, that's one of the centerpieces of his theory, that he noticed some weird shape in there and said, okay, well, that's some sort of metal device that they implanted in there to, I don't know, to do something, 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 any, something any, the body any, was altered. Any, yeah. th any theory 
that contains the word implant. <laughs> I, I shy away from. It. Yeah. There's there's no there is no good there is no good place for one of those theories to end. <laughs> Well, at the risk of uh, name dropping here, I had the good fortune of spending some time with Ted Sorensen before he died. And of course I had to ask oh, him. He, he was, I met him too. He's a good man. Yeah. Really good man. I it was up at his uh, apartment that overlooked central park and I wanted to squat there. I just said, can I live here please? But uh, for him, that event was the absolute heartbreak of his life. And I think there's a similar sentiment, obviously not to the same extent, but for those of us who are interested in this, that the tragedy of what happened was all of that promise and potential lost in an instant. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it devastated people like Sorensen. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it drove Kenny, Kenny O'Donnell to drink. Right. And he drank himself. He drank himself to death. Yeah. You know, being, the, you know, hanging around Boston politics, ran for governor once and got stomped. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he was, he was, a, he was a nuts and bolts guy anyway. He, he wasn't a front man, yeah. but I got to know, <clears throat> excuse me, Dave Powers, who was Kennedy's other, you know, all time buddy, all time Boston politics buddy yeah. when he was running the Kennedy library. And Dave was, Dave was great. Dave was funny as a fish. I mean, he, he, uh, he, you know, he, he tells stories, but to this, he, he went to his grave believing that he saw a bullet come from the grassy knoll. He had absolutely no doubt. Wow. That he saw that he saw and heard a gunshot from in front of the car. And he was a combat vet. I mean, he's one of these guys from World War II. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know and uh did he see a muzzle and, flash or was it smoke or what what did he see exactly? He heard a crack and he looked up and he said he saw a flash. Wow. Uh, and he always said that. Uh, and then, he, you know, he would always go on to say it sounded like somebody had hit a watermelon with a baseball bat. Oh, my God. He said that to everybody. I mean, my wife interviewed him once before we were married, mm -hmm. and he said that to her. He said that to me. He said it to everybody who interviewed him about it. And he's not he's not the sort of guy who's seeking attention in any way, right? I mean, he's got some no, he was, integrity he, to no, him. No, he was he was he was his job was keeping the flame alive. So running the library yeah. was a great, you know, job for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, he was running the library as a front man, but he was you know he was the president of the Kennedy Library. All right, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much, Charlie. I think we've, I I think gonna... we've plumbed the depths. I'm bringing the bathosphere <laughs> back to the surface. Yes, I was just going to say, thank you so much, my friend, and uh, good talk today. Appreciate it. No problem, Bob. Have a good one. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Another shooter's gone out shooting. Today it's breaking news. Another shooter's gone out shooting. They're sending That's what all the papers say Politicians making promises But the guns don't go away And instead of changing laws They send thoughts and prayers your way
was a long time ago But it's a different world now But we just didn't grow You say that it's your right Try to tell them to John Doe Shooter.